You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. Thank you for tuning in to the Houndsman XP podcast for another great episode. And I'm telling you this week, we have got a special treat. It is a husband and wife team of world champions. I've got Danny and Megan Perez that are going to come on the podcast and have a conversation with me about their experiences with Coonhounds. And uh, Megan was the UKC World Champion Bench Show 
contestant this year, and you're going to hear her story. You're going to hear about why confirmation is important. You're going to listen to her philosophy on why it is so necessary that these hounds are sound. We are going to slay some sacred cows on this episode. We're going to talk about why it is so important that you have a hound that has got correct confirmation. And then Danny is going to weigh in on performance side of it. Danny was the 2020 Blue Tick World Champion with his hound, Pop'em Up Woodrow. And um, Danny and I have got a long history. It's kind of a uh, colorful history. And you're going to hear all about that. So Danny and I are going to go back and forth in the typical antagonistic relationship that we have. And then Danny and Megan are going to go for a session of marriage counseling. But anyway, you're going to really enjoy this podcast. And if you're into competing with your hounds, you're going to love it. I mean, this is the, the peak, the summit of coonhound competition in this episode. You've been asking for it, and we are delivering an episode for you. The competition coon hunter out there and bench show enthusiast, this is a great podcast and great conversation with two great people, Danny and Megan Perez. Before we get to that podcast, let me draw your attention. It is Christmas time, and I know you're sitting out there and you're thinking, what am I going to get my houndsman for Christmas? Well... Let me give you a little bit of a tip here. Go to dogsartree.com and invest in a product that they're going to use. I'm telling you right now that I have got plenty of flannel shirts and socks and underwear in my lifetime from people that don't know what to get me for Christmas. And I'm thinking, why not just buy me something that involves the things that I love. You can go to dogsartree.com right now and pick up a hoodie, a shirt, a leash, a, a travel tie-out or a gang line for your hounds, all high-quality stuff. You can pick up a, uh, a supply of paws are protected because we can build that pack from the ground up and keep those hounds in the woods day after day, and that's what every houndsman really wants. So if you're looking for that suggestion, special gift for the houndsman in your life, visit dogsartree.com and check out their merchandise and build your pack from the ground up. I also want to remind you that this time of year is the season of giving. We're in that stretch of Christmas time right now, and it is very important that we not forget the people that have provided us, I almost said supplied, provided us with the freedoms that we have in this country. Support Freedom Hunters. Go to their website at freedomhunters.org. Make a donation to Freedom Hunters. This is such a tough time for um, nonprofit organizations to generate money. And shows have been canceled the fundraisers have been canceled, but the men and women who have supplied our freedom, the veterans, the military veterans of the United States Armed Forces, need your help. 
and freedom hunters can do that. It's a it's a win-win for us, folks. You can make a donation to freedom hunters, get a veteran back into the field, enjoying hunting, fishing, outdoor adventures. But then also, the thing that I want you to consider is we need more people. We need more people that are supporting hunting, fishing, and adventures in the outdoors, and Freedom Hunters can do that for us. It's a credible voice. It's a valuable voice. It's the Christmas season. It's the right thing to do. Go to freedomhunters.org and make a donation today for our American heroes, our warriors that have secured our freedom. And again, go to freedomhunters.org and support a worthy cause. Without any further delay, let's get into this episode with Megan and Danny Perez. You're going to laugh. You're going to pick up a lot of valuable information on how to take your game to the next level. And uh, I think this is a great episode. I hope you really enjoy it. And like always, thank you for spending your time with Houndsman XP. You hear me all right? Oh, yeah, I can hear you good. Are you going to be all shy and weird acting about this? Depends on the question, I guess. It depends on the question. All right. Well, the first the the first question is 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 how does it feel to be a world champion? Oh, amazing! I've been wanting that for so many years. I can't even explain. How many years have you been showing dogs? My my entire life since I can remember. Well, we won't we won't ask you how old you are, but how did you get started? Danny's old, uh, and I always figured you were like 15 or 20 years younger than him. I'm not that sick. No, uh, my <laughs> my parents actually did it together, so that's actually how I got into it. So um, since I could even reach a bench, um, my mom and dad used to coon hunt together all the time, but they wouldn't let me go when I was itty-bitty. And, you know, they got the coon hound bloodlines and – the Cooner and all these different magazines and I'd look at them and before I could even read real well I remember seeing those pictures and wanting to train my dogs to do what they do in the pictures even the hunt win pictures so that's kind of where it all started yeah yeah so how did you and uh how did you and Danny meet just through the hunts and through stuff like that I got this <laughs> <laughs> go Danny <laughs> I'm, I'm very charming, and as you know, I'm extremely attractive. You know, when I first met you at Blue Tick Days, I was kind of disappointed personally. Were you? Yeah, I thought you'd be bigger. Because I was taken? Huh? Because I was off the market? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it is a, it is pretty cool because you guys pulled off something this year. I'm not sure that it's ever been done in the same year before, um, but Danny, you were you top 10 with Woodrow this year? No, no, 13th. 13th, but you were the world champion blue tick. But Megan brought yes, home sir. the big prize with Girl and brought home the actual bench show world champion, which is which is really cool. So I just want to talk to you both about, you know, hunting and hounds and, and uh, you know, how you get dogs prepared for stuff like that and, and just have a real plain talk about 
a married couple that the of world champions. So does that sound good? Sure. All right. <laughs> well, Megan, I want to. I really want to kind of uh, focus on you. You know your accomplishments right now, being the the world champion. So tell us a little bit about girl. Tell us where she came from. You know how long you've had her, stuff like that. So. Um, I used to show her mom and dad years ago, um, and unfortunate circumstances, um, I had to move those dogs and that was actually after I won the national title with her daddy at Autumn Oak. And what year was and that? Cause I remember that year. I remember the year you did that. It was 2009. Okay. Yeah. Was that the, um, was that the 50th annual? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of an accomplishment, a huge accomplishment, because they brought in Wayne Cavanaugh, which, you know, I think is, he, you know, seemed pretty knowledgeable, and um, he didn't know anybody, so that was the best part about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't know any any of the people personally, any of the dogs personally, so it was a huge accomplishment. Right. But then when um, when I got back into it, when, when I met Danny, I got a male pup off of that cross that didn't really work out well. And Danielle Champ in uh, West Virginia actually ended up with both Wonder Boy and Barbie, which is girl's parents. And she made that cross. And I ended up with one of those pups. She also won the breed at the world with my cousin Crystal. Which she, she, that female is actually owned by my, my nephew, Sean, okay. uh, right now. But um, she wasn't, in my opinion, the best of the litter but she was super nice female don't get me wrong the the whole litter is super nice and i was actually supposed to come home with a male off of that cross that daniel champ owned i showed him at autumn oaks and i can't remember the year but they were not i don't even know if they were quite a year yet we won best to show yep and gary franks in alabama owned this female girl and he had contacted me I have been wanting pictures of this female forever, and he just, um, he didn't really send me pictures. (laughs) So he actually offered me a partnership at that time, and Danny and I drove, was it four hours to go get her? I believe it was four hours, and he couldn't believe it. He was stressed out that we were driving four hours to go get this dog I hadn't even seen pictures of. But Danny was stressed out? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? bringing in a dog that we've never seen pictures of but i mean sometimes you have to trust the bloodline you have to trust the dogs that you are familiar with um and and that's how i originally ended up with her as a partnership um but danny's actually how i ended up with her on full ownership so i appreciate that um very much so he is good for something then (laughs) that's actually that's actually encouraging i'm glad to hear that so anybody that doesn't know the relationship between Danny and I, it's kind of an inside deal. But uh, Danny, you want to take this one or should I? I'll give you my You're version and then go. you give him your version. Go ahead. Okay, so so we've got a, a group in uh, Facebook Messenger called the True Blue Brotherhood. And uh, a bunch of guys in Hunt Blue Ticks, we all get on there and have a good time and cut up and, and stuff like that. And... Um, I kind of felt sorry for Danny and started taking advantage of him in the group. And, and I think I hurt his feelings because he started lashing back at me. And, uh, it was, it was all in good fun, but, but at the end of the day, you know, 
you just got to lighten up and, and back away from some of those things so you maintain good relationships. That's my take on it, Danny. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, I think our relationship is a battle of wits and who's the alpha male. <laughs> and clearly that is me. Um, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle of wits and, and it entertains me and it makes me laugh. And, uh, and the reason why I'm so hard on you is because I know you can take it. Yeah, and see, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready for the podcast and I was trying to decide whether it was a battle of wits and who's establishing the alpha male or for actually reverting back to like junior high, just unleashing some of the, you know, some of those skills we learned in junior high school. But yeah, I, I think, I think you may be onto something. We just have, uh, intellectually, I think we do it a little smoother than we might've done in junior high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Half the time I just do it for the other guys to think, like, whoa, did he just say that to him? Exactly. No <laughs> kidding. That's the way I did it, too. I, I'm serious. That's, that's my whole motivation right there. Everybody else is like, whoa. And I think Todd, Todd Robinson, a lot of times, he's at first he was like, holy crap, look at these guys go at it. You know, but now he's figured it out. And Todd's a super yeah. dude, too. So a bunch he's, of good guys really in good there. Guy. Yep. All of, all of them are, but Todd's the guy that's always gonna, he's always gonna say the nice thing and, and take the high road. Oh yeah, he, nobody can depend on us for that. That's for sure. No, no, <laughs> we're, we're good for a good laugh. <laughs> all right, well, I want to, I want to get back to this World Bench Show champion, and the reason I want to talk about this is because this is kind of an area of the podcast we've never talked about. We've never talked about the value of confirmation in our dogs, and and why we have bench shows and things like that. So I thought, who better to get on the podcast than somebody that's been doing this their entire life that can talk about why they do it, the importance of it, and, um, you know, go from there. So, Megan, I mean, what, do you, what value do you see in uh, confirmation shows for our hounds? I think that the breed standards are very important. I mean, this is a discussion that Danny and I have nonstop when we make crosses, whether it's for hunting, whether it's mainly for showing, whatever. I think that the, the breed standards are huge. They were put in place for a reason of the, you know, for the the best ability of the hounds. Um, to me, I think both parts are very important. Both parts um, meaning what? The, the breed standards, the ability, and basically the build of the, dog, the hound. I think they're very both uh, important. Why do, you think, why do you think breed standards were established? Let's boil this down right, right to the very basics. Why were breed standards <laughs> established, do you think? I mean, that's uh, basically the, the ability of the hound. That's how, I mean, when you see the movement of a dog, of a hound, I mean, that's, it makes the best. Like when they're doing what they're bred to be doing, like for the ability, I guess. The function. Functionality. Right. Right. For the, exactly. For the working ability for a dog to continue to be able to work day in and day out, those breed standards were established for that purpose. Exactly. Okay. All right. <laughs> you Thanks said for it. Appreciate it. <laughs> what? Thanks for answering that. Appreciate it. Yeah, you could have said it any, any better. I just brought clarification. <laughs> I was waiting for Megan to spit it out, but 
I was trying. I've said it before when I was judging, when I was judging at a dog show, but, um, you know, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a good sport. Um, so when you see people that are breeding for uh, these breed standards, do you feel like that that is going to help the dog in the woods then? That's the ultimate goal? I do, but I also, Chris, I also see that sometimes people breed the, uh, I don't want to say the brains, but, I mean, I'm going to have to say it. I do think that I see that being bred out as well. Um, so that's not good to just have the breed standards only. In the, um, in you our, have to have it both. Okay, there we go. That's that's a hot-button topic that I want to talk about. So um, <laughs> I'm serious. That was, that was a home run right there, Megan. So, you know, it seems like, houndsmen try to pigeonhole um, the use of the dogs and different things like that. You know, everything's got its category. That's a big game line of hounds. That's a competition line of hounds. They make good pleasure dogs. That's a show dog line. And what have you seen over the years uh, happen to some of the breeds because of of these uh, categories that we want to put our dogs in? And what's it done to the breed overall, if anything? I mean, I think a lot of the different uh, bloodlines, I do think that we're losing a lot of temperament. I think that we're losing a lot of tree ability. I mean, I've we work our, our quote, show puppies and our hunting puppies. Um, and you do see sometimes in some of the show, show dogs, and I mean, this goes back. This isn't just. You know, I, it, I mean, it is specific bloodlines, but it didn't start five um, years goes, ago. Right, exactly. And you do see some of these show pups like that we've worked have just drove a track, but then have no tree at all. Or, um, you know, so I do think that there's, and then you have the temperament issue too. Obviously, coonhounds aren't, uh, they are supposed to be extremely active. Um, and and happy and you're you're losing that in a lot of the the show and i i'm not real sure where that's coming from to be honest with you chris but it's definitely something that's becoming more of a problem Mm -hmm. so do you think there's too much emphasis on breeding for confirmation instead of functionality or ability in in some of the because because i'll i'll speak from my experience you know when when I started hunting, going to competition hunts, first autumn oaks, um, the 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 bench show was something that, honestly, I mean, just putting it right out there, it was something that filled up the day. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, we'll go watch the bench show. Oh, yeah, I'll put this dog in the bench show. You know, you'd see a guy with the same dog he had entered that night. He was out there slicking him up with on the tailgate and then trotting him in and putting him on a bench. And now... Anybody that has never seen either the World Show or Autumn Oaks is probably the best example. Um, I mean, there's grooming stands now in the in the uh, Raper building at, for Autumn Oaks. So, you know, are people breeding for the purpose of winning that confirmation show and leaving too much ability behind? I think people are forgetting what it's all about. You're talking to somebody who's very passionate about both, the ability and the show. Right. Whether you want to take a dog and and let it shine and what it was bred for ability-wise, 
it's totally different than you know breeding out because i can say this for the the hunting aspect and the show aspect i've seen both sides not focus on both things mm-hmm. so i'm not i could say that for you know that i've seen for both all right here's a qu- some people don't really care i mean they they will keep you know dogs that are flat-footed and and weak past or in a weak top line and ticked up and you know, all these different things that you might not see in the show ring, but they, they do. They really focus on the ability, and they they turn them into, you know, uh, winners in the woods. <laughs> right. So, all right, let's go back to what you just said. You you mentioned several faults in a dog right there. And let's talk about those from the ground up on on the functionality of a hound. And we'll, we'll circle back to this passionate topic in a minute. But you you mentioned several things that you felt like were faults, and let's just start at the ground. Flat feet. So when you're looking at a hound, what's the? Do you look at the feet first? Of course, you want one with tight. I mean, you want one with a little tighter foot and a little little thick thicker padding, obviously, because I mean that has a, a very big impact of the longevity of the the hound being on their feet. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at the foot, you know, when I look at a foot is a lot different than when Megan Perez looks at a foot, you know, I'm mm-hmm. looking at a foot for functionality, but I'm looking for that tight foot. What am I actually seeing there when I see a tight footed dog dog and what does that transfer into in the woods? So you want more of a cat, a cat looking foot. I mean, obviously it, it says that in the breed standards, but then also in the past ones, you want a little bit of a give, but you don't want too much give because that, I mean, that again is a weakness. So I, I think personally, when you have a, a dog that's flat footed, thin pad, that dog's not going to, their, their feet aren't going to hold up as long. If you have somebody that's hunting, you know, six, seven nights a week, every night of the week, I mean, you're going to have to give them a break off their feet. Um, they're going to start to slow down. I mean, you're going to have, you know, issues with the pads. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my opinion, it's very important to have, you know, good feet. And sometimes people have too much. If you don't have any give, you know, and they're straight down into their foot and super small feet. I mean, that's also, again, that's not, that's, I mean, that's not a good thing. Yeah. So when I'm looking at this, this puppy, you know, I should be looking for, when I'm okay, so here's the question: If if I'm looking, these dogs are bred the way I want them bred, and I'm I'm not a bench show guy. I'm a fun, I'm a hunter, and I'm a functionality guy. Um, I'm looking at these dogs, this litter of puppies that are out of the hunting stock that I want. Mm-hmm. Can you see some of those traits at a weanling age pup? Is that possible? Yes, padding. Not necessarily the cat foot because some, I mean, puppies, especially around teething age, they're going to go down there, down on their feet. I mean, I've had puppies be completely, you know, a, a, you know, flat footed, but you could still see that padding mm-hmm. uh, once they get through the teething stage. You know, once they do get to a certain age, it will all come together. Okay. But the, the padding is huge. I mean, when you're looking at a, you know, a puppy's foot. You wanna you wanna feel and see a thicker padding. Danny, you got something to add? Did you? Ha- I hear you mumbling in the background. No, it wasn't me. But uh, <laughs> I, I, don't I, lie. He has something to say. Yeah. We talk about this. 
on a regular basis. <laughs> Go ahead, Danny. Her, her and I don't agree on everything, which is fine. Um, Neither do my, me and my I, wife. I mean, yeah. I don't know too many people that would agree with you. But, uh, That's <laughs> no, I, I, when it comes to hunting dogs, I look at heart. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't worry about feet. Don't worry about, you know, I like a good-looking dog. Don't get me wrong. I'm lucky enough to have one right now. But uh, heart and hustle, that's the kind of stuff I look for. And I honestly believe if you want to win the big shows, you're going to have to be breeding show lines. And if you want to win the big hunts, you got to be breeding hunting lines. The, the dream of combining them, it'd be a very long road, and you're not going to win much in between. That's, that is my take on it. See, Chris, that's kind of where we kind of <laughs> disagree a little bit. So <laughs> I hear you. Okay, well, this I, I is. Um, I mean, I do think that deep down Danny does. I mean, he's not, he doesn't want to keep an ugly, not well-built hound. And and let's just face it, it would take years to combine all this to get that perfect hound all around, right? Right. You know, but nobody's ever problem. done it. Nobody's ever but done it. Pro- but that's the problem. You got, you got people that think that, you know, I disagree. But and and I'll be and I know that he can say that we disagree, but we don't because I promise you, if we have a dog sitting on the kennel and it's flat footed. I, I don't care. I mean, unless it's some phenomenal hound, he's he's not he's not going to keep that dog. Well, just I so just you. so we know, before we get too far into this, we have been talking to uh, a sponsor for the podcast for discounts on marriage counseling. So when we're done with this, uh, <laughs> if we get to that point, then then I'll give you a special code for marriage counseling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, agree to disagree. You agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we're fighting about. <laughs> no, we're both passionate about it, and we know it, and we understand it. Yeah. Um. And but I do think that sometimes he says that, and then he. Well, I'm not gonna lie. If I'm picking a puppy, I'm picking the good-looking one, and if I don't get it, I just I don't have to have one. But when it comes down to it, heart. It, the dogs are the most heart. The heart is the ones that are winning the most time. I 110 percent agree right. with you there. Right. Um, I just think I 110 percent agree with you, but that's where well, I was saying. Drop it. <laughs> All right. So, so let me move us on here. Uh, so when I'm when I'm looking for this pup and I'm looking for a dog that I, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether I'm coon hunting or I'm big game hunting. You know, when you're big game hunting, a dog with that can't walk on its feet after a pretty simple day of, of running is pretty worthless to have in your kennel or to feed. You know, you need a dog that can move every day. So I was trying what, what I was really looking for was advice to hunters that are looking for functionality on the pad, you know, the foot. When I, when I, when I'm trying to pick this pup and I'm trying to make a great decision rather than looking at ear spread or, you know, whatever, Maybe it all goes together, but but feet are the most important thing. Right. What does that guy need to be looking at when he's he's looking at that litter of puppies and thinking that pup right there is probably going to be really durable. He's going to be durable and be ready, or she is going to be ready to hunt every any day that I want to take her. Well, I mean, it starts at the bottom, so the feet are very important. Okay. And then, I mean, I I do think, obviously, that the chest is another one that you want to look in, like the, the I mean, the fullness of the chest and the deep, the depth of the chest, because obviously you want to have good capacity there as well. So those would be the two things. And, 
you're talking to somebody that that thinks that head i know that this is terrible when i'm looking at a pup i do think that head and ears are very important mm-hmm. as well um, but obviously that's not something in my opinion that and in, in my time of being around hounds that's really showed a difference in a dog uh what it could do ability um that much i guess if i don't feet are huge and then you know the the chest capacity that's huge as far as like the longevity of you know the hound doing what it's supposed to do so when i'm looking for that i want to i want a thick front end there a lot of capacity in the lungs a lot of space for that heart and lungs to work is that Mm -hmm. what you're saying yes okay because that's that's where the heart that Danny likes so much, that's where that lives. <laughs> so biologist. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, let's talk about top line. What's the functionality of, of top line? Why are you looking at that? When a when a bench show judge looks at that, what's he what's he actually looking for to transfer over into into the function of the hound? I mean, you're looking for strength. You don't want any balancing because that shows weakness as well. That's, I mean, that that is definitely another thing um, that is very important. I mean, you want, um, you don't want it dipping. You don't want it bouncing because that also is something that when you see a weakness like that, that is also something that can uh, become weaker within time. So you you want, and then that runs into the loins too. So you want definitely a nice, a little bit of arch in the loin, just a little bit. Um, So, I mean, that's definitely another thing that's very important. So you don't need something that's being walked through there that looks like a slinky, you know, walking along that's kind of, you know, it's like, does that thing even have a backbone? Right. Because what is that showing me when I see a dog that's walking along that that looks like a slinky? Just uh, another sign of weakness, not the longevity. It's it's gonna mm-hmm. um, basically it's gonna fall in. I mean, Lee Lee Kearns couldn't have said it better um, at the the World Show when he said it starts at the bottom and it goes up like a house. And you know, if you don't have that part, it's gonna cave in. Nice. Well, Danny, well, well hmm. you're you're sitting over there very courteous, which is unusual for you, but. Um, so you're hunting a dog right now that that is both good looking and capable. So when you look at a hound, what are you looking for? Let's get back to that a little bit. I mean, be specific. What what do you mean? Well, okay, so so I'm the dog I'm talking about is Buffalo Creek Pop 'em Up Woodrow. He was uh-huh. the uh the 2020 Blue Tick World Champion, placed 13th in the World Hunt. Uh, he's got a lot of ability. I'm pretty familiar with him. Um, when I had him, then, you know, I really liked the dog. But there was something about that dog that made you want him back. But you've also, he's won, he's won on the bench, and he's won in the woods. He should so, be more on the bench. He won't let me show him. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So yeah, you're definitely going to need the discount code, but, um, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a big motor. Um, to me, if you have a big hunting dog, uh, you're, you're not going to be out. You're never blown out any cash. You always have a chance that dog's always out there 
maybe going to get out there and tree that one more coon that you need that that the rest of the dogs that just don't have the gas or you know wallowing around in the same holler trying to make something happen that that's been gone hours ago um I need something that gives me a chance every night, you know. I don't win them all, but I got a chance because he, he's got the gas to go and find find a raccoon that he can actually tree on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 the thing about Woodrow that that's why I'm still feeding him. Um, when I when I sold him to you, I was hunting Jim Dandy, and I really hadn't put the time in in Woodrow that that he needed yet. Um, as far as singling them out and doing the things that I do to get one ready for a hunt. Um, and I just, man, I just wasn't tough enough to hunt both of them right, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. So, and you're uh, one of the hardest hunting guys I know. Seriously. I mean, when you... To me, you can't do... Unless you don't have a job during the day, there's no way, in my opinion, to get multiple dogs right. I mean, really right to win at a national level. Uh, Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that then. You're the hardest hunting guy uh, guy I know with a job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely know a few guys that hunt harder than me. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I like a dog with a big motor. I ended up selling Jim Dandy to Kevin Cable, and uh, Kevin ended up getting second in the Super Stakes with him, and I wanted Woodrow back. I, I regretted it the instant I surprised him, and you jumped on it because I knew – in my mind, he's has something really special for a blue tick. Um, I, I'm seeing more of them than I ever remember seeing here lately with, with that gas. But, uh, but in my mind, he had, uh, man, he was, I know you don't want to hear it, but he, he's a Walker dog, you know, wrapped up in a blue tick hide, you know, uh, I just, that's just me. I mean, I, I hunted a dog, <clears throat> well, most of his life from, mm-hmm. Two to twelve, hard knocking Mr. J. Um, I made him a gold champion one hundred at a time, and he, man, he spoiled me. He, he, the dog didn't make. He just hardly made any mistakes, and he was easy. Uh, and and Woodrow kind of reminds me of Jay in a way with that hustle and get through the country and be by himself. But the difference between them two dogs is Jay would purposely pass up coons. He just blow out and get way off by himself. He didn't want nothing to do with anybody else. I don't, I don't see Woodrow passing much up. No. If he if he smells it, you know he'll he'll run a colder track and tree a coon. Or, but he's just moving all the time. He doesn't stand on his head a lot. Uh, he just always keeps it moving. And to me, that's that's what keeps me from pulling my hair out. Because with these Garmin's now, you can watch them. And uh, I'm sure there's dogs in my past that if I could have watched them on a Garmin, I probably would have had a heart attack. <laughs> no doubt you know when garments first came out everybody's like you can't tell lies anymore now you know what they're doing right right i figured it'd be the death of a lot of dogs yeah you know when i had <laughs> when i had woodrow he showed me enough that you know i bred him to a grand night champion female and he'd never been in a hunt and uh, uh i bred him for a specific purpose to get a female out of that out of that cross and to uh that's why i bought him besides the fact that he was just a good looking dog and he was an easy keeper he was he was fine he was easy to have around the place he had a lot of ability and um um so for me it was one of those deals i mean i really liked him but he was a good looking dog he had plenty he had 
a lot of ability and um I was glad to get get him back to you. If when you when you asked me to get him back, I was I was happy to get him back to you. Cuz I'm not yeah. I'm not going to put him on that big stage like like that's that's your your driving, you know, goal is to compete at those high levels and that's why he went back to you. I just appreciate yeah, I'm, you I'm selling him to me. I'm glad it worked out the way it did. I, like I said, as soon as, you know, I priced them and you bid on it, I instantly regretted it. Um, and, and Megan, you know, I said, I bought Woodrow back. She said, what do you, you've never bought a dog back. You said, you'd never do that. Well, I did. And it, and it worked out, you know, yeah. once I sell them, I usually, I usually don't want them back. Um, what all of you, I, I screwed up. what all of you accomplished with Woodrow? Let's just run down the list. I don't know. I, I'd have to. King of the Hunt, Blue Tick yeah. Days, 2019. I know you 13th in the World Hunt. How much? All right. So, from what I let's see. Yeah, 2019. He was King of the Hunt, Blue Tick Days as a two-year-old. Um, and then I think we were pretty high in the performance points in the Blue Ticks that year, as far as you know, the, the standings they have in the book there. Um, and then the next year, we uh, we won King of Hunt and King of Show at the BBCHA Spring Spring Hunt, mm-hmm. which I thought that was pretty cool. In fact, that was kind of my goal for Blue Tick Days, but we got close. He he actually won. He finished as champion on the bench there Friday at Blue Tick Days, and then then won champions on Saturday. But uh, so yeah, that's kind of cool. That's really the coolest thing about him and. And uh, actually, one of the things that I kind of felt bad about when I sold him to you was that was a dog that potentially Megan and I could both win with. Yes. You know, which which is neat. You know, the the teamwork involved in, on a single dog that that's got a chance to do it all. You know, but uh, so that that's that's what's pretty cool about him, and and a lot of his pups are looking pretty good too, like that. But anyway, uh, let's see, Ashland Spring Hunt. Um, I don't know. I lose track of stuff, Chris, but he ended up being like number two in our zone for the Purina race. Um, the top 16 hunt at the fall roundup. Uh, first one of those they ever had paid a thousand bucks. We won it. Um, then of course the world championship, I placed him at black and tan days. I placed him at the blue tick reunion. Um, he's done pretty good at the bigger events. I mean, he's, he's done real he's well. Got his picture taken. Yep. He's guys picture taken a lot for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know, which kind of, kind of brings me to the topic that I really wanted to jump into and you kind of keyed it up there for us, Danny, but was, that was, uh, you know, something that, that you and Megan could both win with. And, um, that's why I wanted to have you guys on the podcast. When you guys were doing the interview, you made a statement that, that I heard and took to heart. You know, this isn't just, this is a way of life for you guys. And you're yeah. not, neither one of you are one hit wonders here. So what other, you've got, what other dogs have you had that, that have made a mark on their breed? I know you've been in walkers and blue ticks. What other dogs are out there? Uh, as far as dogs that I have owned? Yep. Um, let's see. I'll start it off with, uh. My old uh, Smoky River Bandit dog, I won Blue Tick Days with him, and I think it was 
uh, maybe oh one. Mm-hmm. Um, he he only had three litters on the ground, and um, and was shortchanged in his life. My my vet, my ex vet, actually killed him. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that was Bandit, and uh, fortunately with Bandit, I also had a, a female that uh, Buffalo Creek Too Tough Betty. Uh, at the time, Bandit was my favorite dog because I've always liked a male dog. And uh, Betty was a little younger than Bandit. And we went on to win quite a bit, Betty and I. But I bred Betty to to Bandit, and we're lucky enough, out of only three litters on the ground, he, Bandit and Betty, produced um, Dylan's Smoking Blue Magic. What was, it about Betty, really... what was it about Bandit that you liked so much? Let's boil this down. What was, about, what was it about Bandit that you liked so much? I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. I didn't know much back then. That's all right. <laughs> That's I why we do this podcast. Huh? That's why we do this podcast. Everybody yeah, is at that point uh, at one point. Yeah. I, uh, I like him because he is quick on both ends. He, he, the style of hound that he was is not the style of hound I hunt today. He was a first-and-first first type dog. You had to be, you know, on your toes, handler type guy, you know, and and I hate that. I don't like that pressure. I like I like a dog over by himself. Take let him settle in, tree him, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, <clears throat> then so there was Betty, you know, which she's in the Hall of Fame, and I won some pretty good stuff with her. Made her silver champion in PKC. Um, and, and then there was Hard Knocking Mr. J, which I made him gold champion one hundred at a time. I mean, I think oh, we made it to the fourth round of the PKC World in two thousand and twelve. Um, he's a Walker dog. Um, had, I've had some good ones out of him. Uh, Harry J. Uh, he's a silver champion. Uh, see, I had Smoky River Crank. Uh, he was a really nice dog. That I really didn't win any big, big stuff with him. Had the Jim Dandy dog, like I said, uh, Cable ended up with and got second in Super Stakes with. I had Blue Creek Gauge, which a lot of the Blue Tick guys will know who he is. Yep. I started him and. And I sold him to Danny Glista for, for in my opinion, a lot of money for a nine-month-old pup. But let me tell you that that was a freak of nature. He he could do it all and do it all, split tree and you know naturally. He was naturally independent. Yeah. Megan, stop recording me. <laughs> anyway, uh, he's videoing me. Anyway, uh, so there was Gage. Um, I don't know. I, 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 this stuff could come right off the top of my head if you didn't ask me, but when you had, well, okay, so let's that. let's let's flip it over to uh, the female, you know, too tough Betty. What was it about yeah. her that you liked? Man, she was just a bad unit. She, I got her. <clears throat> it's kind of funny. I was pleasure hunting with uh, some friends of mine, uh, Bud Smith, Pat Keller, David Hill, and uh, Bud Smith. Which Bud, oh, he's he's probably not even able to turn a hound loose anymore. All my friends are a little older than me, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> Betty got treed in there. We're all pleasure, and I had a, I was hunting a female named Moonlight. Actually, my first blue tick, and uh, Betty come treed in there. And I mean, when she, when Betty come treed, she sounded like a male dog with a big growly, coarse locate, you know. And I, I told them guys, I said, my dog just got treated. And they said, no, that wasn't your dog. That was Bud's dog. Well, long story short, I bought her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, I don't know, 15 months old. She'd already done some winning with Bud. He went to a 500 added somewhere and put her in a pup derby or something. And 
got in, you know, and uh, she was just, man, as a young dog, she was, she was like, uh, should be in the pack a little bit first, you know, hard to get treated on and, uh, and split a time or two of a hunt. And as she aged and matured, she ended up being a dead loner that just had them coons. I mean, she just, she had them. She was just an all around. What I liked about Betty is I could hunt a pup with her and she didn't change who she was. Meaning like some of these dogs I hunt today, if you turn a pup loose with them, they're doing everything in their power to lose that pup. Right. Betty just go out there and get struck and, and tree a coon. Now, I really feel like the reason why she was such a loner as she got older, I, I started hunting more PKC than anything, and everybody's hunting dead loners. And she wasn't just following <laughs> nobody. She, she, she was she's doing her own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if you want to go with it, that's fine. And if you don't, that's fine. Right. You know, but she was truly phenomenal and, and, and probably um, top two best dogs I ever owned in my life. Is she on the historical reproducers list? She never made it. She's one pup shy. No kidding. Yep. Yep, one pup shy. Wow. At the time she was when she was the number two reproducer, her littermate sister was the number one reproducer. No blue hugger. That's amazing. And right now, Betty's daughter is the number one reproducer. And she was also out of Gage, which Gage was a grand pup to Betty, so that was that was something I had in mind, you know, when I sold when I sold Gage to Glista, I told him I want to breed Betty to this pup. You know, I, I'd already seen enough out of him. I, like, he was phenomenal. Uh, you know, he's naturally independent, real good locate, good tree dog, loud, first strike dog. He's bells and whistles. I mean, he was he was something else. But uh, anyway, I, I thought that'd be a good cross, you know, crossing, you know, Betty back to her grandson. And it worked. Every one of those are titled. That's, that's where uh, Tough came from and uh several others you know when you when you start looking at the intentions like me you know i make a cross on woodrow think i'm gonna bring it back and and then you let those those pups slip out of your hands and you have those missed opportunities man it's hard it's tough story of my life yeah i'm always on to the next one um and i don't i don't get too no if i would have stuck to what i had going back with bandit and Betty, you know, I could be, I could, you know, potentially have something going on like some of our ancestors, you know, that, that mm-hmm. we always looked up to, you know, is keep doing it. But man, I can't, um, I, I just have to have something that, like I said, the heart and something that satisfies me, uh, it, it, you know, makes it fun to coon hunt. Like, you know, uh, so like for instance, you know, Betty got old, uh, and she, you know, she was a, a high measuring stick, and and I ended up, you know, getting Mr. J, which a young guy had had uh, had J, and I always tried to buy him. We I meet up with uh, my buddy Pat, and uh, a friend of his, this young guy, uh, would be there wanting to go hunting or whatever, go hunting with us, and so it ended up being a ended up becoming a mutual friend and a, a pretty good friend of mine, Ryan Crowder. But at the time, I didn't know Ryan. I just see him when he'd be at Pat's house and we'd go hunting, you know. And he had this this pup that just blew me away. I mean, he just had so many tools, he had a huge mouth, a giant locate. Just, man, he, I always took notice of this pup. And I tried to buy him, and the kid was just in love with him. He wasn't going to price him for nothing. And uh, lucky for me, Ryan fell in love and needed money for an engagement ring. And he <laughs> called me up. 
he called me up and, and priced him to me and he, he was pretty dang high in uh in my opinion but i'm pretty tight but anyway <laughs> uh, i said let me try him let me try him for that you know and uh jay was doing some things that were quirky to me and i said i can't buy him for that money when i hunt him by himself i loved him when i hunt him with another dog if they you know he could be at the tree with him but he wouldn't bark mm-hmm. well then so i send him back and he he and he hadn't hunted the dog in a long time he's he's in love you know <laughs> so uh i sent him back and he uh he took him hunting with pat and he goes you know what he called me up because i hunted him you're right he won't bark a tree with another dog and i said well i mean i didn't lie to you so ended up a week or so goes by two weeks he calls me back says you want to buy a good good dog cheap and i i said well who he said he said jay i said how much well the price cut in half and i saw take him and uh i met him immediately because I've been trying to buy this dog forever and he's so wishy-washy about it because he like he had an emotional attachment to the dog which is easy I get to it figure out it's easy to figure out why once you got to know the dog and you know what I mean he's right that, that dog's first that he's gone you know but uh got him bought and uh I just I hammered him by himself non-stop for probably three months rolling out every cooney shot or every cooney treat and uh and the rest was history that dude was bad bad to the bone yeah, what do you like about he was just he was quick on both ends, get by himself. What what was it about well, him that he liked? When he was when he was younger, you, you weren't going to beat him on a running coon, and he had a monster locate that the second he started it, you could jam him on it. But that was only going to happen out of the truck. You know, if you hit that coon track right out of the truck, you know you'd get a piece of that. But after that, he's going to be split all night. And then as he got a little bit older, he was split every time. When he's younger, he might be split twenty yards, two hundred yards, half a mile. Mm-hmm. Jay at Jay at seven years old, people hated drawing me. We, you know, they'd say, "Where's Jay at?" You, you wouldn't hear Jay. They, they've done made two two trees. You know, where's your dog at? About that time, whoa! <laughs> I said, "Well, strike him. Yeah, It'd be a mile." You know, I'd walk him to a coon, and he just he didn't he didn't tree as, as many coons as a lot of dogs, but he didn't make any mistakes. And that dog was he was, and I've said this before, and a lot of guys say this stuff. In my, that ain't my opinion. It's a fact. Jay was one of the most accurate dogs that ever lived in the history of coon dogs, bar none. Guarantee it. That's that's a pretty amazing statement, you know, considering the uh, the reputation that that and it's. I think it's comical that not comical, but it's ironic that you have blue ticks and you have walkers because it seems like those are arch nemesis of one another, yeah. but. Uh, you know that they only live once yeah and um you know the the reputation of slick treeing and different stuff to be able to say that about a walker dog is is pretty cool and uh well, be able to back it up you know that's yeah, the thing he, i think we well, get he made the top go he ahead made the top reproducer list and i never i never even ran an ad on him it was guys that had hunted with him they they wanted a piece of them, you know. They, yeah. I mean, around here, the guys would say, if it's at the end of the hunt and Danny trees Jay through the country, you might as well just give him the money. You're done. Yeah. You know, and I want a lot of casts that way. You know, last 30 seconds of the hunt, um, I'm just pinning my ears trying to find him. Where are you at? You know, because we couldn't use Garmin's back when I was pushing Jay. You know, if I, if I had, his win rate would have probably been even higher. That's the thing. You know, a lot of guys now with, with the uh... – you always get that guy in the cast. It's like, 
hey, you're 125 down. There's no way you can beat me. And then you, they look at you and you say, you want to bet? You know, and they, they stay in till the end. And you sounds like Jay was that kind of that kind of dog. It's like, don't count him out until the time's up. Yeah, he was. He, he Like I said, he was, he was just like clean. He wasn't going to draw minus. You know, he, he was just going to treat coons. And you knew, like you knew when you treat him, you, I don't know, he has a real confidence level that I already had it plussed up in my mind on the card. That's you right. Know? And, and that's, the way, that's the way it was, you know. It's yep. Just, uh, yep. It wasn't, with Jay, it wasn't like I can tell he's got him because of the way he did that. Or it's iffy because of the way he did that. No, Jake, I'm going to treat the same way every time. You could treat him on his first locate, but you didn't have to. And he'd have them. I mean, he was just a freak. Yep, those are cool dogs to hunt for sure. Yeah, it made, made life a little miserable trying to find a replacement, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he just, I loved him. Yeah, yep. Well, let's... Uh... You got anything else you want to add, Megan, to that? Did you hunt did you hunt with any of these dogs? Uh yeah. I hunted with every single one of them actually. Absolutely. <laughs> they didn't hunt bandit. Well, not bandit, no. Um and actually Betty, no, I was there when she passed. Yeah. Um, he always said they was gonna take me, but he never took me, but um What's that all about? Special. Man. No, she's a fourteen year old dog. I wasn't gonna <laughs> I got to watch videos and stuff of her. Yeah. Um, we went to old Chuck Coat's house and we watched a bunch of videos of her. So that was nice. That was pretty cool, actually. Chuck Coat's, which he's been breeding blue tick hounds forever, and and is, you know, a lot of people probably don't even know who he is, but he's responsible for a lot of the stuff that that we're following these days. But he come around when them dogs are all old. Uh, he went around to everybody's place that had him and, and took him hunting and and got videos of Banger and Betty and Hugger and. And all these dogs that back back then, everybody knew who they were, you know. And there's he's got a video with all them dogs, you know, at different times, of course, on the same disc, you know, treating coons. It's, it's kind of neat. Hmm. So that I'm I'm curious, you know, that one of the reasons that that I I think I said it earlier in the podcast, but you know, having a husband and wife team that that has succeeded in this lifestyle that we live you know that's what i wanted to talk to you about so megan how often do you hunt how many you know so it depends how how the dog is looking that he's hunting (laughs) or what i have to pack pack along honestly because sometimes there might be where i only go you know once a week here and there and there's sometimes where i'll go four or five week uh night a week with him so what do you base that on do you Say that again. What do you base that on? Do you have to like the dog or do you, you know, what, what are your qualifications to say, Hey, I want to get in the truck and go hunting with you tonight. So sometimes, uh, Chris, and, I, and I'm, and I'm, I told you I'm very charming. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no, so, so sometimes I will be honest with you. Um, Danny and I are both very passionate with these towns and it gets to the point where when we're working a dog, whether I'm working one to get it ready for a show or he's working one to get ready for the hunt, we get so passionate sometimes. And if it doesn't go the way the work, you know, the work that we put in, if it doesn't go the way that we want it, sometimes we get extremely 
um, frustrated and in a mode, I would say. And if Danny gets in one of those modes where he's getting a, a hound ready, it does get not. It, it, I'm not fun to be around. I hear you, man. Out of it. Okay. I can. So I'm not taking that away from him because so, I'm proud of so him. So basically, when right. he's catching crawl dads in the creek and saying, "Look at this," I'm like, "Gosh, dang it!" I'm just trying to listen. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. No, okay. So I've been there, Megan. Uh, and I'm going to take up for Danny here because when I am focused, I lost a lot of hunting partners over the years because I had such yeah. high standards for dogs. And when I was hunting, I was focused on that dog. I wouldn't care. I didn't care about, you know, anything else, any of the small talk that, and people looked at me and they're like, damn, I can't, he's no fun to hunt with. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Chris, I'm not taking that away from him because I understand the passion behind it. Absolutely. Because if I'm working a dog and You're I get world frustrated, I, I'll be honest with you. I like my bubble. I like to just be in my zone. So I completely understand it. And I completely understand it, too, in his aspect because there's been times where I've had pups. I mean, Katie Trail, the, the female that was bred to, to Woodrow at one point mm -hmm. when she was a young dog, I chased her down in the creek. I was so frustrated, and I just... You know, it just, um, I, I get it. You know, it's not that I don't get it. Well, that's um, what I wanted to bring out, Megan. I wanted to bring out that you're not just, you know, the showpiece over here that's getting dogs prettied up for, because I, I've, you know, I, I follow you guys on social media and I've been around you and, and, uh, I know that you're as passionate about hunting and the outdoors and fishing and, you know, all that stuff is anybody. So I, I wanted to showcase you as well and say you know this just isn't some chick that's got a dog on a grooming stand and you know you're you're living it too and i admire that about yeah it. i understand all aspects of it for sure yep. and i i know that it takes a lot of hard work so whether it's you know show or hunt i know the grooming that takes to go on both so I completely understand it. It's just sometimes when I personally go and he's hunting his dogs, I just want to go out and have a good time. But at the same time, if I have my own dog and my own dog's not doing what I want it to do, I understand the yeah. frustration. So. Takes it out on me instead of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Takes it out on you instead of I get that too. I get that too. Excited about now. She might not make the breed standards height wise, but <laughs> she's built really good. Yeah. All right. So real quick, real quick, Megan. I want to. I want to. I do want to switch back and talk to you about. You know what does it actually take to make a world champion? You know, and I'm talking about a bench show champion. Walk us through the routine that you have to go through in order to get to that point. Chris, it takes years. And, you know, some of the questions that you have asked, you know, sometimes when I'm in my mode, it's so much easier for me to, to respond in, in the way that I want to respond. But, you know, it does. It, it takes years. And I'm trying not to get emotional on this because, you know, I try. Some people are like, will you take my dog for a month? Will you take my dog for you know, two months, it, it doesn't take that. It takes, it takes years of routine. So when we're going to a coon club meeting, when we're going to farm and home, when we're going to these places, 
even if you just throw them in the box or in the truck or whatever to get them on uh, just a routine of uh, being exposed and setting them up on the bag of dog food or horse feed in the, in the feed store. You know, Danny and I, it's taken Danny years to understand why I do that and oh, not want to take a dog. Well, I, I do think it's very important um, that you get the dog in that routine because the, the dog is going to start to, um, I guess, understand the routine and know what you want and do it uh, more, um, I guess, precise, better. Um, so it doesn't take one month. Um, and I, and I try to tell people that, and that's why I don't take dogs in that much. Uh, every once in a while I might help somebody, you know, just to get the dog, you know, exposed to different things. And, um, but it, it takes a lot of passion and it takes a lot of time. It's, so, it's not just overnight. You know, the thing that aggravates me and I think, and I, I'm not trying to be sexist here. My wife has raised she's raised all my pups, <laughs> you, know, you know, she looks yeah. at them and she's like, I think this dog does this. And she doesn't hunt with me. I mean, she is like, you got too many dogs, but she's very tolerant of, of my passions, but she is very connect. She's a four H, you know, a, a dog four H leader and all that stuff. And, but she's just got a connection there that she sees it. And, you know, and, and hauls the dogs around. I would never do any of that. I would never think about, oh, I'm going to Orsland. I'm going to put the dog in the truck and walk it around Orsland with me today. It's like, no, that's too much of a pain in the butt. You know, what if it craps on the floor and I got to clean it up? You know? Danny gets really frustrated when I set a dog up and say, take the, take the picture, you know. But it's just on the routine or, yeah. you know, getting on that routine and exposure. Right. Right. Well, okay. So, Danny, let's talk about what you do. And I'm we're not limited on time, but I don't want to drag this thing out real long, and I don't know what you want to talk about. But it seems like you have a high percentage of pups that turn into coon dogs. And do you want to talk about how you get pups started? in performing nope, on the pro- nope, that's a secret. I knew it. I knew I knew that was gonna be the answer, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Nah, honestly, Chris, it's it's genetics. Um, you know, obviously anybody should be, you know, investigating or, you know, trying to figure out studying history, genetics, the the more good ones behind them, the better your odds are. And then it's time. It's actually putting the time in those animals and trying. And that's, that's what I've always said. You know, I, I truly believe 80 to 85% of puppies go to waste because everybody has the intent, oh, I want this little puppy and I'm going to make it a coon dog. Well, before it's six months old, they're tired of it and they don't want to do anything with it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just think it's a lot of, first of all, I think it's genetics as far as, you know, a history and a pedigree of coon treeing animals and then, uh, and then, then putting the time in them. I, I don't think it's anything super special it's just uh just using a little bit of common sense wow that's a hard one to to come by these days i'd say common sense i mean it's 2020 buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i i share your i share your your uh opinion on that danny it's it's a deal 
you know, I dread if I raise a litter of pups, I dread every time one of those pups leaves the driveway. I'm like, no, I'm happy about it. <laughs> I am. Well, I am too, but at the same time, I'm thinking, did I sell that pup to the right person? That's going to have, well, that- I know what, I know what yeah. you're saying. And like I said, uh, you know, it's, uh, and most of them, like I said, I mean, you can pretty much count it. Megan don't even sell pups. She, she handpicks, you know, tries to, decide who gets them to give them a chance that's important that's well, yeah, it's very important but at the same time like my common sense side of it says i spend a lot of money on coon hounds i need to i'm never going to get it all back right but any little bit right. helps you know and Why I, don't do you... raise, I don't raise litters i don't usually keep a female i do have a litter on the ground right now it's the first litter i've raised and god i don't know how long um in fact the first one to get booked was by our, our buddy steve burkholder he built the female right away so you're not going to brag cool. about that, are you? Well, let's just put it this way. I'm not worried about it when that one leaves the driveway. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. Well, Megan, tell us how you do it. You, you, you handpick people. I Tell me the secret on that. Cause I'd love to learn it. So it's not, and I'm, I, I mean, I don't want to name names, but obviously we know the people who won, I mean, care for the dogs. They put the time and they put the, because, Danny mentioned something earlier that, yes, some people get these puppies and they expect it to happen overnight. They expect it to happen within a week or so. It's not going to. So you got to have somebody that understands the breed. You got to have to, you know, understands that it's going to take time and work. Um, And then also you want those dogs in the spotlight. You want them to be pushed. Um, You know, I want to reach their full potential. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's huge, and I and I'm always a part of that too. Like girls first cross. I mean, I have brought puppies back to my house to you know to put in the shows and help them do that because of course I'm going to do that for those people because I made that cross for that. I didn't make that cross to sell puppies. Um, and well, what could we get for world champion puppies? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know. I, we are going to breed girl. She's due in December. I'm actually taking her this weekend to, to somebody and she's not coming heat yet, but I had already told Danny and I prepared him that this isn't how it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not going to be for, for, you know, for sale. They're going to go to certain people. Um, Cause you're trying you know, to, I you're trying wait. to build a legacy. Right. I, I, yeah. I think it's very important where they go for it. And, and with coon hounds, we already know that, we worry about the dying of the sport, right? I mean, so, um, I don't know. I just, you're, you're never going to make your money back no matter what you got to be passionate about it. That's it, gotta be it something right there. Enjoy. So, you're, um, it's important to me. The most impactful breeders I know and have talked to have, have been in this for the passion of building that legacy and improvement of the line that they're, they're promoting. You know, and man, if, if people would just stop looking at dollar signs and thinking Mm -hmm. about the bigger picture of what am I, what am I contributing to my passion here rather than what I can get out of it, man, we'd be so much better off. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. There's so many crosses that have been made that we may not have seen the full potential of some of those you know, what has came from those crosses because of that. Yeah. 
you know, we could, I could talk to you two for hours about this stuff and about, about the accomplishments and your passion and stuff like that. I want to wrap, I, I want to kind of wrap this thing up with the, the topic of you two sharing a passion, you know, it, it was evident when I watched the UK, UKC video, uh, the recap of the world hunt that, that this is a shared passion with these coon hounds. So maybe this is the free marriage counseling session. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes Megan and Danny work with hounds? Megan, you go first or I don't know. Maybe Dan, uh, Danny, you go first. I want to hear Megan refute everything you say. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> what are you doing? You're looking at the True Blue Brotherhood, trying to figure out what kind of smart aleck answer you can put on there. I said, "What yeah, is, it, what is it about hounds that makes Danny and Megan click and work?" I mean, I don't know. It's just. Honestly, okay, so for the like Megan was raised this way, you know, she this is this lifestyle is really nothing new to her. Um so she understands everything about me and I understand uh, maybe half about her. <laughs> uh, if you if you think you know, you know, understand women, fill me in. Uh, I, I just think it's just a common bond, you know, of like when you really love something and then you get to share it with a person, it makes it twice as good. You know, like, I mean, my, my throat choked up when Megan won the world. I mean, I just, I knew how hard she has tried for that um, and strived and worked her butt off to, to get to that point. And, and, and not just like, she's always had good dogs, but like it's particularly important and to both of us for girl, cause we've always felt like she deserved, I think the girl's gotten shortchanged a lot, but basically every time she's gotten beaten. I mean, that's just my opinion. She, when I look at that female, she's the like that should be the picture of a Walker female in the dictionary. I mean, that's she's close to perfect as you get, you know. But to see you know girl win that at seven years old and Megan won it for her so bad and try and work her butt off so hard and to get it, like it was, I I was happier. I, I imagine I was probably happier than if I myself would have won the world hunt. And, and that's the truth. I mean, it just, yeah. it really meant a lot to me. Yeah. That's cool. So Go ahead, Megan. That. I never thought you could be that, you could be that empathetic, but it's good to well, see. I mean, yeah. I love her. <laughs> Megan, your turn, your turn. Uh, it's very hard for, for me to beat that Chris, but I will say that when it came to the world event, um, I mean, obviously we met, uh, coming in, it's not like anything new for either of us because he's been doing it for years too. Um, so we do understand that passion. So when, when Danny does have his successes, you know, I'm happy for him too. And when it came to the world event, I was disappointed because I was working very hard with two other females to get them prepared for this event. And they both came in heat. I was going to ask you about that. Go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) It, It was. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I called Danny, and I and I I was very emotional because I was disappointed, and he was actually 
him and another friend were huge supporters on just take girl. This could be her last chance. And I just didn't think it was possible. So, you know, Danny's a huge uh, inspiration on why girl ended up at the world uh, for sure. So, I mean, that definitely was a teamwork, a team decision, I guess. Teamwork uh, makes the dream work. <laughs> so, I mean, but driving up there and driving up there separate in my mind and what what I was hoping for is I was going to go out there for fun and I was going to show girl one last time and hope for the breed or hope for a cut. Um, and, and I was praying and I, Danny was doing so good. I just thought this is Danny's year. This is, you know, him and Woodrow's year to get the blue tick breed. I mean, like to win the world with a blue tick. Oh yeah. I really thought that and really prayed for that. And, you know, I, I never dreamed that, um, girl would end up winning the world. I, I thought I was going out there, um, to do a little bit of winning with her and a friend's dog and watch him have his, his time, which he did. I'm not taking that away. That's awesome. That's huge that they, they made the accomplishments that they did. Um, and, and I'm super proud of them. So moments like that make it, uh, it's huge for us because that's why we do it. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. So the, uh, the question What's the uh, recipe for a happy marriage when hounds are involved? Danny, you go first. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm going to tell you, I spent a lot of money in dog food. But uh, you, huh? you? We spent a lot of money in dog food. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Man, best thing I can say, if you're, if you're lucky enough to get a woman that shares your passion, um, you know, try to put your foot down not to bring any more dogs in. But but when you see it's not going to work out, back off, man. Just back off. <laughs> you ain't going to tell me what to do. Uh, I don't... We talked about kennel space, Chris. That's the problem. <laughs> say that again. I didn't catch that. We fight over kennel space. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Megan, Megan, what's your recipe for a happy marriage with hounds? Um, you know, Chris, it's it's definitely you. You definitely have to understand because Danny, Danny and I, because of our passion, have definitely had our bickerments. But at the end, I mean, we understand why. Um because of the the passion is so strong there. So it's just understanding, um, being understanding and stepping back and thinking and putting yourself in their shoes. And it's easy for us to do that because we share the same passion. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's how, how I feel about it. Nice. You know, I, I'd sent a message to Danny before we got started about, um, helping, he needed help with the big words and stuff, but, um, and I was glad you were going to be there, but Danny, I think I need help with the big words. What the heck is a bickerment? What is that? Um, man, <laughs> Google buddy, Google. <laughs> uh, I, I'd say that's a cross between, that's a mutt. It's a cross between <laughs> argument and bickering. Bickerment. Man, everybody knows that. 
I'm just a simple. I'm just a simple guy with a simple, simple uh, podcast here. So I just wanted to uh, spell that out a little bit. But she's got her own vocabulary, buddy. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Well, hey, you guys have been a blast, man. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get together and and do this again sometime. I knew it was going to be fun, um, and I knew that it was going to be entertaining for sure. So you did not disappoint either one of you. Well, thanks for having us, man. Man, I, I'm, I'm happy that you guys agreed to do this because I'm serious. I mean, world champions, same year, pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. So you got any final thoughts? What, what would you tell the hound world, Danny, about getting a hound ready for competition? Oh boy. Uh, leave your wife at home. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, my thing I always do is I single one out and I hunt a lot by myself. Um, once in a while, I'll get together with somebody and, and just see where they measure up and see how they react to this and that. And been guilty of hunting by themselves too much, and then I get in a cast situation and I don't know how to handle it because, uh, you know, I haven't seen it, you know. Um, but <clears throat> in fact, I think you know that cost me advancing the third round of the world hunt this year was hunted by myself too much. I wasn't sure what I thought he was going to do. And what he did was two different things. Um, I could have treed for a quarter and, and the would have won that cast, but I didn't think he was going to be there. And, and he was, and it was King wow. King, So I took a hundred, hundred minus. That's the only thing anybody else in the world would have treated their dog there. He's there. He didn't right. sound right. Cause he's not used to being with company. A couple of females kind of cut him off on his track. He struck it low, working it up the ridge high and they were already up there. And it kind of bum fuzzled him a little bit. He didn't come on it right. He didn't sound right. But dumb, dumb mistake. You know, all I had to do was gamble a quarter. I could have took twenty five minus instead of a hundred minus. Mm. If he screwed, but he stays, and I wouldn't have took any minus, and I would have won. I would advance, but uh, man, hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. But uh, just know your dog, hunt your dog, and uh, like I said, a lot by himself and a little with some some other folks, just so you can see how they react to certain situations. Nice. Uh, Megan, what do you have to say? Um, I think preparation's huge, no matter what, uh, whether it's the show or the hunt. So you have to take the time into making sure. And for the bench show especially, um, you know, I work my, my hounds as much as possible, no matter what, whether it's before a show or not. But before a show, it's actually very important to, uh, take the time to go out there a few times a day, two, three times a day, if possible, even if it's five minute sessions to, to work them. And obviously the grooming part of it's important too, because every little thing helps. Um, I, I can't express that enough. Well, I see, I hear one common theme and that is willing to put in the time and the work, you know, um, I don't care if you're talking about basketball or football or coon hounds if you're going to be successful and it doesn't necessarily just translate into into competition it's just success is you've got to be willing to put in the work and that's true in every aspect of life and I always love it when you know we can take our houndsman lifestyle and look at it as a microcosm for success in life and in my opinion, you guys are a success, and I'm glad that you guys came on the podcast. So thanks. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us, Chris. You What's bet. What's the microcosm? What's that? <laughs> What's Help the it? microcosm? You got me. Hey, 
help him out, Megan. Look up, show him how to use Google and get him squared away. Until you do that, you follow your hounds. You always like to throw a big one in there, don't you? Oh yeah. <laughs> that was the zinger for that was the zinger for the day. Hey. While Megan's Googling, I'll leave you with this. You follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. See you, bud. Thank you.